outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 149. Today in the show, we're joined by Jessica DiLorenzo and Alex Templeton, and we're exploring the unique experiences, perspectives, and challenges of today's female hunter. Welcome to the Wire to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today in the show, we're joined by two avid hunters, Jessica DiLorenzo and Alex Templeton. And these are two women who are not just serious hunters, but also terrific ambassadors for the female hunting community. In addition to being hardcore hunters, Jessica is a professional photographer out of Pennsylvania, and Alex is a cattle woman out of Missouri. So, I wanted to have Jessica and Alex on the show today to talk hunting and deer and photography and gear and stories, but also to talk about their perspective as female hunters. You know, what it's like getting into hunting as a female, what it's like now, how they feel about how female hunters are portrayed and treated today, maybe in public or in the media, and a whole lot more. So we're going to talk about deer and turkeys and antelope and photography and bows and hunting clothing and and all sorts of good stuff. But before all that, Dan, what is new in the world of the nine fingered wonder <laughs> still got nine fingers uh, <laughs> that's good hasn't, hasn't grown back yet so there's that well i worry one of these days you might come on and say you only have eight i just never know what you're getting into oh shit the next time i lose something it's gonna be like a whole hand or arm <laughs> knock on wood right yeah really <laughs> <laughs> so what were you gonna say i don't know what what was the question <laughs> <laughs> i was just asking what's new with you man Oh, uh, it's, it's good. You know, same old stuff. I'm in a, in a routine. I, I, like I told you before we started recording, I have my office moved from out in this industrial park to downtown, uh, like downtown Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I have to park in a parking garage. I have to fight traffic. I have to, you know, take the skywalk back to, you know, a, a, building that is probably built out of cubicle parts i don't know it just sucks and yeah oh well part of it right yeah i guess so what about this weekend you did a good weekend right yeah a three-day weekend man i tell you what 
I had absolutely so much fun hanging with my family. Um, we didn't kill any turkeys. Uh, they were hend up pretty bad, but me and the wife found mushrooms and my stepbrother found mushrooms. We caught fish and then my stepdad, he killed a 31 pound Tom with Whoa. almost two inch spurs and a, like 11 and three quarters inch beard. Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah, huge, huge Tom. And we had a meal on Friday night that was – was it Friday night or Saturday night? Anyway, it was fish that we caught, turkey that we killed, and mushrooms that we found. All And everything that we ate for that meal was from the field to the table in less than 24 hours. That is so cool. That is that is That is best. awesome. Yeah. That's just the ultimate sense of satisfaction. Eating a meal like oh, that, it's it, that w- there was better than eating my deer with you know store bought side dishes, right? Everything yeah. that we ate was completely organic, completely wild, and I don't know I, that. Yeah, like you said, satis- complete satisfaction. And my daughter caught the fish that we ate, nice. so that right there made it even better. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but as I get older, you know, just like spending time with a family and and focusing less on myself as of right now, like turkey hunting, I don't even care. This weekend was so much fun. Uh, yeah, it was nice to get out and hear some gobbles, but, uh, you know, fam, this weekend was about family. I I know it, it will change come fall when, cause deer are a little higher on the, uh, um, priority chart than turkey are yeah now how much time is left in the season are you going to get to go out hunt yourself uh well i got i got a shotgun tag so that ends today actually and we're recording this on a tuesday so uh uh if i get a chance to go out tonight which i doubt uh, i'm done bummer well yeah. Like you said, though, good times, and that's oh, yeah. in the long run what's important. Did uh, did your wife still have a good time even though the birds weren't cooperating? She absolutely loves – okay, she loves going shed hunting now, right? And she loves finding mushrooms. So we found a lot of mushrooms. Um, the weather has been warm, so it usually mushrooms just pop, right? So – this year with the warmer weather, they're saying that it's going to be a longer drawn out, um, uh, a longer drawn out mushroom season. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to go out a couple times this week, I think, uh, a couple times next week and see if we can't find some more, but I love mushrooms, man. Very cool. Yeah. I'm hoping to find some out here in Montana here soon. Yeah. They, do they have them out there? Yeah. Yeah, they do. It sounds like, I don't, I don't think the season is quite as kind of short and sweet as it is back home for me in Michigan stuff. I mm-hmm. think it's more drawn out, but from what I understand, you can find them, you know, in lower elevations, like the river bottoms early, maybe like April and stuff. And then you keep on going later into the early summer and you can find them. I've heard like June, even up in some of these higher South facing hill slopes and burn areas awesome. and stuff. So, so yeah, we're heading for Montana tomorrow and uh, going to do some shed hunting and some mushroom hunting. Hopefully these next few days, if the weather cooperates. Did you uh, finalize any turkey hunting plans yet or, or what? Yeah, so that's that's one of the things I'm hoping to fit in when we get in out there too, but nothing's finalized yet. I haven't figured out details. Everything's kind of 
everything's been kind of a cluster. <laughs> yeah. It's just been like chaos with all sorts of different things going on. And the weather has been really tough. It's, it's all been like raining or snowing and crappy most of the days of the past week. And now this whole week ahead of us looks like every single day. Um, so that's caused some challenges and, you know, the adventures of, uh, of my first time using a, a camper on one of these types of trips, the, the adventures continue. Um, yeah. so we've had some more fun things happen since we last talked. Um, most notably, <laughs> well, okay. So uh, a place where our awning connects to the camper that got ripped out one day by wind oh, man. because we hadn't put the awning up and it wasn't supposed to be very windy, but it was apparently enough to knock out one of these things. So I've had to repair that. Um, our water pump in the camper now doesn't seem to work, so we can't get any water. Um, so now we're filling up water bottles and stuff in town and then coming back and staying at camp instead of being able to use the fresh water tank that's in the camper. And two nights ago, I was woke up in the middle of the night by scurrying noises all over and scraping and chewing. And I spent most of that night not being able to fall asleep because every five, 10 minutes I'd hear something scurrying around and I'd jump out of bed and try to kill it. Our camper has been invaded by mice. Oh Jesus. So the first night I was up to like two thirty. We made like homemade mouse traps trying to trying to catch this thing by like taking a trash can and we put a rope, a piece of string across the trash can and then put a beer can on the rope so it was spinning you know so it could spin on the string and then yep. some peanut butter on top of the can and then like a bridge leading up to the garbage pan and then and then water inside the garbage can so that the trick would be the mouse would smell the peanut butter up on the can he'd climb up to the top of the can walk across the rope to the beer can and then when he steps on that to try to get the peanut butter it would spin and he'd fall into the garbage can and drown so <laughs> that was our idea um that we got online it did not work, but it seemed like a good idea. Um, yeah. So that was night number one. Then yesterday we went to the store and bought all sorts of real mouse traps and mouse repellent and all sorts of stuff. And I tried to find where they might be getting into the camper and tried to close some areas up. We bought some like seal foam to try to fill gaps and set like six mouse traps. Went to bed. Woke up in the middle of the night, heard more scurrying and chip, chip, chipping, and uh, I'm getting so pissed and frustrated. I can't fall asleep because, like, every time I start to fall asleep, I hear these noises again. And so at, like, 2.30 in the morning, I wake up again, and I go check the traps. He sprung, they sprung all the traps, but didn't catch a single one. So reset it, woke up this morning, sprung all the traps, didn't catch them. So... I don't know what to do. I, I can I can kill deer. I can kill turkeys. I apparently can't kill mice. So, all right. Here's an, here is this. You're gonna think this is crazy, okay. right? So my grandpa had an old camper that he used. Uh, I would say twice a year, right? And then it would park behind a barn. And every year it had tons of mice in it before he would go to use it. Okay. So here's what he did. He cracked a window in the camper then took a garden hose, taped it to the exhaust in his truck, and <laughs> let his truck run and basically poison everything out. Uh, you know, he would – basically that's how he fumigated right. the – it would flood the inside of the camper. And it was a real small camper. And then um, all these mice would just run away. They'd leave, and that's how he got everything out of there. Wow! And if there was if there was babies in there, they probably would die. I guess. Right. I, um, but that's how he did it. And 
it worked. So maybe that's something uh, you should try. And, you're, and then he would drive with the windows open down the road. And by the time he got to, you know, the state or the fairs that he was showing his horses at, they would, you know, the, the smell of that exhaust would, would not be completely gone, but still be, you know, not as bad as if you were, I don't know. Right in there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, yeah. It's something to consider. I, who knows if if this next uh, if this next round tonight? Well, we moved camp. We're leaving. Okay. We're leaving Jackson Hole today, heading to Montana. So I'm hoping that they have not nested, and hopefully they're not living in the camper now. Hopefully they are just like coming in overnight. So hopefully we left this group of mice that figured it out, and yeah. I can try to continue to fill these gaps. But if not, we might need to take. Uh, extreme measures and uh i'll, I'll run the fumigation <laughs> technique past my wife see what she thinks <laughs> hey it's worth a try man anything anything at this point i uh, i need a good sleep i can't uh, man I, I wake up in the middle and i'd see him running across the couch in front of us or i saw it was just ugh. i'll tell you right pain, now but... my wife would not even be in that camper um, yeah, she'd be sleeping in a hotel until the problem is fixed. <laughs> Surprisingly, I'm more bothered by it than my wife. She's like, just sleep. I'm like, I can't sleep when these stupid things are running all over the place. But oh, buddy. yeah, so, you know, it's, it's just been, it's just been one of those things, one thing after another. So we'll see. Hopefully Montana treats us well and, uh, we'll do some bear hunting, some turkey hunting, some shed hunting, some mushroom hunting, and hopefully no mice. So that's my story. And I don't know if this is bugs or if you find an Osage orange tree that has the big balls on them, you know? Yeah. yeah. I heard that if you put those repel, I don't know if it's bugs or mice, but those might help huh. too. Okay. I don't think they have those types of trees out here. I don't think I've ever seen them around here. But one thing we did try is peppermint oil. I guess concentrated yeah. peppermint oil is supposed to keep them out, but apparently it doesn't work because it, it didn't help us last night but <laughs> either way we do need to uh, we right. got to wrap this one up because we have got to give jessica and alex a call so let's take a quick break for our sick story and then we'll get them on the line all right so as i mentioned we've got a great sick story today from my good friend and fellow michigan hunter josh hilliard and today he's recalling one of our favorite shared turkey hunts we were walking out to where we we're going to get set up for the day and coming around the corner, going to head, walk, skirt the edge of this food plot and uh, sit in this blind that we had set up. And I believe you just did a little, a little call so we can sequence before we walked in there and make sure there's nothing roosted right there. Uh, nothing usually does roost there, but lo and behold, that day there's a, there's a Tom right on the edge of that, on the edge of that food plot. And so we just dropped, all three of us just dropped right to the ground and just stayed there. I don't know, we were maybe 20 minutes before daylight so we just hunkered down there uh for a while and because he gobbled he would just keep he gobbled right there yeah in he front gobbled us, right? yeah he gobbled right there in front of us yep and uh, uh man he couldn't have been no no more than 40 yards away from us at that point and uh we were just behind some tall grass so he finally comes down out of the roost and and he was just hammering away at us he kept calling calling he he came on a string right to us and and we're all laying there and i i think he had to been what 15 yards away. It was yeah, really close. close. If, if that, if that, and I, I remember I look at you and I said, are you ready? <laughs> You're like, what do you mean? Am I ready? Like shoot, shoot him. <laughs> so I pop up, <laughs> I pop up and I shoot him and I hit him and he started kind of running off slowly. I could tell I hit him. So I just stood up and 
and ran a couple more spot uh, steps and, and took another shot and, and dropped him right there on the edge of the food plot. But man, that was a, it was a, a wild, a wild morning. It all happened really quick. And we had a, a bird within the first you know, five minutes of daylight and, and uh, I was all tagged out. Yeah. So. And, and I will forever, I will forever laugh when I think of the phrase, are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, I'm ready. What about you? Shoot him. <laughs> I'm not the one shooting. This was a Sitka story, and on this hunt, Josh was wearing the Sitka Ascent pants and jacket, and a Stratus jacket as well. If you'd like to learn more about Sitka gear, you can visit SitkaGear.com. And now let's get back to the show and give Jessica and Alex a call. All right, with us now on the line is Jessica DiLorenzo and Alex Templeton. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey guys! Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely, and I and I have to apologize right out the gate because Jessica, you've been on as a Sitka story interview a couple different times, and I have been mispronouncing your name all these different times <laughs> until today. So thank you for correcting me, and I'm sorry for doing that in the past. <laughs> <laughs> You're forgiven, no problem. Okay, so so I guess before before we go too far in this conversation, for those who aren't familiar with the two of you, and I think a lot of people probably are, um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about yourselves, you know, what you're doing today, who you are. Um, maybe, Jessica, could you kick us off with a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I live in Pennsylvania, avid bow hunter. Um, I'm a full-time photographer. I do lots of photography in the outdoors for hunting and fishing. Um, and lifestyle brands, things like that. Um, big into whitetails here in Pennsylvania. And the last uh, year or two, I've been getting my hands wet with some big game out west. And uh, whenever I have time, just kicking them off with fly fishing. So yeah. I'm enjoying the outdoors and doing my thing. Awesome. And what about you, Alex? Uh, well, I live in northern Missouri, and I'm a farmer and rancher. Um, on my family's farm here, and I've been hunting for as long as I can remember, and bow hunting since I was 18, I guess. I'm 24 now, so for a few years, and uh, just been, like I said, hunting all my life, and I've been really getting into bow hunting pretty seriously these past few years, and I've been fortunate to hunt, you know, several places all over the states, but bow hunting whitetails here in Missouri is my favorite thing i'd say that's my number one passion it's what keeps me busy so i love it yeah well uh the, the both of you fit in very well with the two of us because we too are nuts about whitetails so <laughs> we're, we're definitely going to talk about that some but different than uh whitetails i actually saw recently on both of your instagram accounts that you have both been on some successful turkey hunts uh alex can you tell us about that it looked like you were out there with um, maybe a friend or maybe was that your boyfriend possibly? Yeah, that was my boyfriend. His name is Rye. That was actually mm. his first turkey hunt, <laughs> his first turkey ever. He's from Canada, so he like has no idea anything about turkeys and I'm like a turkey <laughs> fanatic. So he like tells me I'm like turkey crazy. And yeah, I, en I ended up getting him one and he shot it with his bow. It's kind of funny. He's actually a guide is what he does he's a sheep hunter by trade and mule deer and black bears and things like that so i brought him down here to the midwest and got some turkey hunting in him and he loved it so i guided the guide it was pretty fun <laughs> that's nice how, how did the hunt go down 
Uh, well, we actually hunted the same group of birds. I'd been hunting them before he got here, and I was having a heck of a time with them. I was having a hard time getting them to commit to my decoys, and they weren't responding to calls really well, so I'll be honest, we got lucky. And they came, we were at the right place at the right time, and they came through, and one came in and tried to beat up our Jake, and Rye made a good shot on it. It was awesome. I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Heck yeah. I'd rather, as they say, I'd rather be lucky than good any day. Oh, for sure, for sure. Of course, I claimed that it was all of my excellent calling and my strategy that made us get the turkey, but of course, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> what about you, Jess? Um, I headed out to Nebraska um, with my buddy Jake Latandras, and we were um, meeting up with Prairie Rock Outfitters. So we were out kind of like in the hills. I think they're called the Wildcat Hills in Nebraska, and we were going after um, my first Merriam's bird. So it was like a really neat combination of like spot and stalk, big game style out on the hills. And then we find some birds and, and get on on them and set up a blind and just do your classic turkey hunt from there. But um, it was super exciting and we had a ton of action. And actually, I missed my first shot, too. Uh, so that was like super disappointing. But I, I made it. I made it back and we ended up getting a really nice um, Merriam's bird down with my bow my my veil so that was like the first kill that i had with my new octavator veil so i'm super pumped about it nice and uh so we just spent the rest of the time kind of like scouting the area out with the outfitter and we got to stalk some uh bighorn sheep for photography so that was really exciting uh, it was just overall a pretty adventurous turkey hunt not like turkey hunting in pennsylvania that's for sure yeah the the, the pictures looked amazing just the the terrain out there um I was I was pretty jealous of that. Yeah, it was uh, strenuous. There was a couple uh, moments where the the guys are ahead of me, and I let them walk first because there was rattlesnakes everywhere. <laughs> so I was like, "Well, you guys can find the rattlesnakes and warn me if you're ahead of me." So I sent them, you know, first, and uh, going up some of these hills and these like sandstony cliffs that were crumbling. I was a little bit intimidated, but we got it done, and nobody plummeted to their death. So I think it was a, su- a success. I'd say so. <laughs> no rattlesnake bites, <laughs> no no falling off cliffs and dead turkey. That's a that's a pretty good trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, all around. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh I'm actually we were talking about it a little bit ago. I'll be going on my first hunt for a Merriam's bird in Montana here in the next week and a half or so. So I'm I'll be chasing turkeys in cliffy badlands ish country with rattlesnakes too. So we'll see if I can get as lucky as you did. <laughs> Nice. Good luck. See. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so so what about whitetails then? Um, Alex, you, you killed a pretty nice eight-pointer this past year. Is that right? Yeah, I did here in my home state of Missouri. How did that go? How, how was the season in general? Well, the season actually was kind of slow. We didn't really have the weather that we were Actually, Jess and I were actually hunting together in Illinois. When was that, Jess? Like the end of October? Yeah, that was right before Halloween, I think. Yeah, we were there right before Halloween, and the weather was hot, and we just weren't seeing very much movement. So I came home to Missouri and then kept hunting every day, and I was hunting on one of my favorite farms, and this buck came out, and I thought, it is your lucky day, bud, and I let him have it. (laughs) He ran about 60 yards and piled up, and that was my first kill with my Occupative Ale, too, so hopefully the first of many. Nice. Well, now, <laughs> yeah, I, hopefully. I, I, Not going so well yeah, yet, but 
I just saw um, a few days ago you posted a little video. I think you were out turkey hunting from a blind, and you were watching a deer, a buck that had, you know didn't have his antlers that had shed, and you were uh, you captioned or mentioned this is a buck that you've been chasing all last year, but you hadn't been able to connect with him. Um, can you tell us about that buck and your struggles yeah, trying to get that him? that was like the craziest thing. I have lost sleep over this deer. I mean, it's just one of those things that like I just I can't shake him. Um, so I actually, I actually nicknamed him Big Nasty because he's got like a broken front leg or something. I have no idea what happened to him. He showed up on my trail cameras like I think last June, I think, is when I, or July, I can't quite remember. But he's not going to break any records with his rack size. He's just a mass, you know, a nine-pointer with some pretty good mass. But he's got this disgusting front, front <laughs> leg is where he gets the nickname Big Nasty because it's nasty. So I was like, I really want to kill this deer. Because he's, you know, solid rack, too. But just the fact that I feel like he should be in pain and be miserable, I don't know. But apparently this deer's just all over the place. And so I hunted him all last year. I actually had a couple encounters with him. I was hunting over a decoy uh, end of October, right after Jess and I got home from Illinois. And he came in, and he was at, like, I think 40-yard broadside, which you know, is a shot that I am comfortable with, but I thought, okay, he's going to posture up to my decoy and I'm going to get a 20 yard broadside shot. So I waited. So there was absolutely no posturing up to the decoy. He went zero to 60 and attacked the thing and oh, ran away. Man. Yeah. And I was like, I know it was a shoulda, coulda, woulda thing. I was thinking <laughs> maybe I should have tried him, but you know, he could have just as easily postured up to it in front of it and I could have smoked him hopefully, but that didn't happen. And I had a, couple other encounters with him where he just never came close enough so i looked for his sheds all spring i hadn't gotten really any trail camera pictures of him or anything since he dropped his horns but i you know i was looking for him i wanted to find his match set so then lo and behold i'm sitting in my turkey blind and i see a deer and i'm like oh oh my gosh that's big nasty there he is and he walked ended up coming up like 20 yards away and like stomped at the decoys and I feel like he knew that I was in there and he knew exactly what he was doing, you know, and he had little nubs on his head. So I don't know what his rack's going to do this year with that messed up leg, but I'm excited to see. Yeah. That's awesome to know that he at least made it this far. Um, I know. And it was actually on a side of the farm where I, you know, I run cameras kind of all over this particular farm and I had never seen him over there. So like, I didn't really expect, to be seeing him around there, you know, which is kind of just, I wasn't expecting to see him at all. So it's kind of, kind of neat. So it makes me, makes me pumped up and ready to get out there and plant some food plots and get rolling for next fall. Heck yeah. So, so I've got a buck that I've been hunting the past few years that kept me awake all night a lot. And, you know, coming into this year, there's all sorts of things that I learned last season and the year before that I'm trying to like analyze now and now trying to have like some changes to my strategy for 2017. Is there anything that you learned from hunting big nasty last year, Alex, that's going to, you know, that you're going to change or tweak for this coming season when you chase him? Yeah. A few things were like, I, I started to realize that he was entering and exiting one of my food plots from a completely different location than what I was expecting. So I know I'm going to switch up some stand locations, which it could be, you know, completely different this year, but I plan on trying to do some scouting and run a lot of cameras and really trying to figure out exactly where he's at and, you know, trying to figure out exactly how I can pinpoint 
where he's at and where he's going to be coming in and try to get on him early is my plan. So, but that's easier said than done, you know. And then, of <laughs> yeah. course, when the rut comes, it's going to be every man for himself out there. Hopefully, I'll just be in the right place at the right time is yeah. what I'm hoping. Yeah. Last year, was he just a rut buck? Like, did you see him in the early season or was he the whole fall or what? I had pictures of him last summer when he started coming into one of my cameras. Uh, I saw that, you know, he had the broken leg then. And well, I'm not even sure if it's actually broken. It's just swollen and disgusting. So, uh, yeah, he started coming into one of my cameras, and then I never saw him in person until the end of October. So right about when the pre-rut starting to come in, you know, end of October, beginning of November is when I started seeing him in person when he started showing himself during daylight hours. So I'll definitely be keeping that in mind and, you know, trying to hunt him smart and trying to outsmart him. But if he's so far, he's winning. Yeah. That, they tend to do so more often than not. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes it fun though. I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I was really hoping I was going to match up his sheds this year, but I'm a terrible shed hunter. So mm. that's not too surprising. <laughs> I didn't find him. I hear you. I hear you. So, uh, what about you, Jess? How'd your How'd your whitetail year go? Last year was a, a lot of the same as Alexa. the The weather was so warm, and we had scheduled some hunts like for the peak rut dates that we all anticipated. And then it was like summer until December, so <laughs> yeah. uh, slow on the movement. And the most exciting moment, I think, whitetail hunting last year was actually the same hunt with Alex and I was sitting one night in a totally separate location and like this we had we were watching um a pretty nice like 130 148 point bedded down um on a bank of like a stream and um this was a little bit later in the hunt so I pretty much anticipated on trying to shoot that buck if he graced me with his presence but he just laid there the whole time and didn't really respond to any kind of calls or anything um and then it's getting late in the evening, and out of the corner of my eye, I just see this black, massive blob start coming out of, of, uh, of a stone row. And I look up, and I look at the, my cameraman, and we both just, like, our mouths dropped. It was, like, a 160, 170-inch deer, and he's just, like, Oof. thumping across the field, and he's heading straight for a rub line. And uh, we put out a grunt, and he turned his head, and it was just, like, that feeling where the, like that broadside rack comes front side, like, <laughs> like my heart sank. I was like, holy crap. So he started coming towards me after that grunt. And at that point I was like, holy crap, if he crosses this little ditch, it's on. And my stand was placed like right in an opening between two fields. So I was anticipating him walking right through there to look for that, that buck that was grunting. And he kind of made a few more looks, his tail flicking and he didn't see anything. Had I had a decoy there, I think it might have ended differently, but he he looked a little longer, and then he just hightailed it right back for his rub line, and we didn't see him again. But that was, like, the most heart-stopping moment of my whole season. Um, oh, wow. I had a couple more encounters with some smaller bucks at home, but no shots, and I wasn't following any particular deer last year at home. There was just, like, nothing spectacular happening. It's been a little bit of a dry spell the last year or two as far as the bucks successful with getting does and things but there's been no uh, trophy whitetail hunting in pennsylvania on my, any of my properties anytime in the in the recent future or past yeah recent past so. <laughs> hey yeah I, I, hopefully I, in the recent future yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
I, uh, it's funny. Every week, I spend most of every day either like writing about whitetails or talking about them on the podcast or doing something related to them. And still, I don't know about you, Dan, but like just hearing Alex and Jessica tell these stories, like it, it even got me like fired up even more. Like I'm like, all right, I'm ready to get back out there, sit over the decoy. Like <laughs> I'm pumped. Right when Alex starts talking about, oh, I got to make sure I, I switch the stand location on this uh, this deer because the wind's going to change. It, it, you know. I get to thinking and stop paying attention to you guys, <laughs> which is bad. And I'm thinking yeah. in my head, okay, uh, if the wind's out of here, sh- sh- I need, I might need to move my stand as well. So, you know, start, it's always calculating that next move. Yeah. And it's get- always something like there's always something else that you're thinking about wanting to do different or wanting to try. Like it never ends. Yeah. Never. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why we love it so much. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's awesome, and I'm I'm already stoked, like we just said. But I want to talk about another element of of kind of your guys' experiences, not just actually out there chasing animals, but one of the things I want to discuss with you was your unique perspective as female hunters. Um, so I guess I'm kind of curious to first kind of hear about how you both got into hunting, and you know, was there any unique any unique elements to that being a female or any challenges or anything that were notable? Um, Jessica, I don't know if you want to kick that off. Sure. Um, I got, I hunted a little bit with my dad when I was younger, but it wasn't something that I was like seriously passionate about. Um, I was involved with other things as like a teenager that kept me busy. And then once I, like as an adult graduate or we had college and moved, um, I have a pretty decent sized piece of property and, just started getting more into the outdoors and it just sort of evolved from there. And then the last few years, it's just been like crazy overload hunting every single day, whether I'm actually hunting or planning for hunting, preparing for hunting. So it just um, was like a natural progression for me once I was a little bit older. Um, And so since I got into the hunting, the archery kind of evolved from there too. Um, I basically, I basically only archery hunt now. I, hardly ever take out a gun unless it's for turkey once in a while um so that is like my background in hunting it's not like a very like i grew up hunting every single day story i kind of taught myself i had a mentor um as well who um, really helped me out as far as the whitetail hunting and then my buddy that i grew up with in high school he got me my first turkey so we we hunt together all the time and i learned a lot from him as well and then just a lot of people that I've met through um, social networking and things like that. Like I've learned a lot from the girls I hunt with and through people that I've met working with Sickle on some projects. So it's like everybody that I meet, I kind of take something from and I feel like it really enriches like my knowledge base for hunting. So it's like, I'm, I'm still in my mind, I'm still a beginner hunter. I'm constantly learning and I feel like I'm not past that newbie stage yet it's just everything is so exciting and so new all the time yeah that's a fun place to be it uh i yeah. think that constant desire to learn though that never goes away um i certainly still mm-hmm. feel the same way myself uh what about you alex you mentioned i think you said that you, you've been hunting your whole life but what was that kind of like um for you yeah uh, i've been hunting for as long as i can remember it's been a huge part of my life since I was a little girl. My dad and on my mom and my dad's side of the family, everybody hunts. All the guys do anyway. And um, I was pretty much raised as the son my dad never had. Uh, Grew up with three other sisters and 
I was like the definition of a tomboy. So, <laughs> you know, my and I didn't really start getting a little bit girlier till I was about 13 or 14. So, I mean, I was all about everything to do with outdoors and getting dirty and muddy and when my whole childhood and, you know, those are some of my, my favorite memories are hunting with my dad. And, you know, he was, his attitude about it was great. He, there was never any lapse in, Oh, well, this is a guy's trip. Well, this is the guys hanging out. You, you know, you can't, there was never any of that. And I was always right there in the action, watching them skin deer, watching them talk about hunting and listening to the stories from my grandpa and, you know, my uncles, and it's just been a huge part of my life for as long as I can remember, and now it's virtually what my life revolves around, and my dad and I still like to hunt a lot together, you know, and he's, we're really, really close, that's who I work with every day, and uh, I'd say he's probably my best friend, and we, we have a great time together, and, you know, he was, he was great getting me into it, and teaching me everything I know, and now, I teach him things, and it's it's great. That's very cool. I got a real quick question. You know, you for for Jessica, I have a daughter of my own, and for some reason, subconsciously, I find myself, you know, if my son falls down and scrapes his knee, it's hey, get up, you know. And then if my daughter falls down and scrapes her knee, I'm like, oh, baby, are you okay? You know, a little bit of a soft of a softer. And I do that subconsciously. I don't, I don't know why, but did your dad ever, you know, while you were growing up, was your dad ever the, Hey, get, you know, deal with it, be tough, let's go. Or was, was there a little softer side? Um, you know, like when you started gutting the deer or, or was it mm-hmm. level ground the entire time? Did you mean that level for Alex ground. or Jess? Sorry. Whoever, whoever has been hunting their entire life. Alex, Jessica, Love right? You, Alex. Alex, Alex <laughs> my bad. My bad. My dad. <laughs> yep, my bad. Um, no, that's a good question, though. And I think there was a healthy balance of both, I think. Um, I'll be the first to admit I am not tough at all. <laughs> like, I have no tolerance for pain. I'm like a huge wimp, you know. So I think there was a healthy balance of, you know, my dad didn't necessarily cut me any break because I was a girl, and it's still like that today. You know, I have a a pretty physically demanding job and a pretty, you know, job where I I don't really know how to say it, but, you know, you can get hurt kind of doing what I do, working with livestock, you know, with cows and, you know, bulls and things like that. You You can get hurt. And there's never really been any time where my dad's been, like, let me do that because you're a girl, if that makes sense. You know, it's yeah. always been, he looks at, I'm his equal, I guess. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. There's been times where I've been hurt pretty bad and he's babied me a little bit, you know, but he's, he's pretty good about, you know, telling me when I need to cowboy up and telling me, no, it's okay to be upset. And, you know, I right. kind of think there's a, a fine line to ride because if, you know, if you're too harsh, my feelings get hurt, you know, and, but if you're too soft, you know, then I probably wouldn't be the person I am today. So I think there's a, there's a healthy balance and you kind of just have to find the right line to stay on. And, you know, it's, it, he looks at me as his equal though, you know, it's, I'm not as strong as him and I'm not as tough as him, but you know, I, I still work, I still work hard. 
for him. And, right. you know, there's a, a saying that we say when we're working together that don't take anything personal that we say to each other when we're working cows because some pretty some pretty rude comments come out of each other's mouth <laughs> when we're working cows. So that's like anything you say when you're working cows doesn't count. You can't bring it up later. So. But, I mean, that's, yeah, so that, that with talking to your daughter, though, you know, I think if it's a healthy line of, you know, when she needs to suck it up, tell her to suck it up. When she needs to, you need to hold her and love her, hold her and love her. You know, she needs that, too, just as much as the other. I agree. I mean, Dan, I have a daughter, too. She just turned six, and I am in the same predicament even as a mother. She falls down sometimes, and it's like it takes my breath away, and I run over, and I freak out, and I panic. And other times, she's like she's crying and I'm like, Hey, come on, suck it up, tough it up. We were out fishing the other day and she scraped her hand and I told her to, to blow her snot on the ground and get moving. And she looked at me like, what? I was like, yeah, that's right. We're outside. Suck it up. And so the same thing that Alex said, I think it's just a healthy mix of, of both attitudes is a, a good combination to raise them with. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like, Today, more than maybe in the past, and maybe it's just because you know I'm paying, we're, we're paying attention to it now. But I feel like there's a lot of kind of buzz about it. More and more females seem to be becoming interested in getting into hunting. And both me and Dan, you know, Dan with his wife, myself and my wife, Dan with his daughter, um, you know, I think we're all interested in how to introduce um, our significant others or or whoever it might be in our lives to the hunting world and, and getting into this kind of stuff. And you both have kind of different stories of how you got into hunting, um, but with the common piece being you were both females. I'm curious to hear, is there anything that you've learned um, from your experience getting into hunting and with those mentors, whether it be your dad or your friend that taught you or got you into it? Um, maybe, Jessica, if you want to take this first, given the fact that you were a little more of a, of a late-onset hunter, um, is there anything that you've learned that you could suggest to us and to others out there who want to introduce females to hunting um, as far as how to do that um, or anything there? Sure. Um, I would say just be really um, encouraging, be excited about it for them. Don't um, make them feel intimidated by any means. Uh, don't make it, don't make the, the women or the girls feel like because they haven't experienced it, they're not going to understand it. Um, there's been a couple of times or conversations that I've had with people even now where if I'm talking about my hunting experiences, uh, they kind of like, well, that's you, you haven't had enough experience or you don't understand or, or you can't possibly be any good at hunting because you don't have 15, 20 years under your belt of hunting. Um, and I, I think that that's the wrong attitude to take. Um, especially for people who are uh, women, you're just getting into it. They need to feel welcomed. They need to feel like you're willing to share with them your knowledge, your tips. Um, I just, to be encouraging, I think is the best, the best attitude to take with it. Yeah. What do you think, Alex, from the perspective of you being a, a, you know, starting this process at a younger age, anything you would, you would suggest? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can completely agree with everything Jess said. You know, I think, I think it's important to create a welcoming environment um, for someone who's just getting in to hunting, whether that, you know, kind of be not making them feel stupid for asking questions, I know is a big thing because kind of like Jess said, I still consider myself to be a beginning hunter, always wanting to lo- grow and learn and, 
you know, asking questions is good. And it, it can be frustrating, I know, hunting with someone who's never done it or never, you know, tried it. I, I know that it can be, you know, when you're wanting to get in there and get going, it can be kind of take you back a little bit. But, you know, creating an environment where it's okay to ask questions. And, you know, I think starting out the right way, uh, you know, for example, I wanted to take my niece turkey hunting last spring and um, something like it was going to be super cold opening morning of youth season. And she, we went and she froze and she was miserable and she was six at the time. And she was worried about going this year because she was scared of being too cold, which that's a little, you know, it's different taking an adult as compared to taking a child. But you know, maybe the first few times you go, maybe not take them in the most extreme conditions possible, you know, because that can kind of hinder maybe someone wanting to go again. I know it would me too, because like I said, I'm not, I'm a wimp. So if I had never done something like that and went out on a miserable day, I probably wouldn't like it as much as I do now. Cause it's, you know, it's hard, it could be hard to see the bigger picture, right? you know, but like Jess, like Jess said, you know, just because someone's just getting into it doesn't mean that they can't love it just as much as you, you know, so if you make it just a fun experience as much as you can, then, you know, the more people that you can get in to love hunting, the better. So I think it's, it's great looking to take your wife or your girlfriend or your kids, you know, it's amazing how many people, how many women that I talk to that say, oh yeah, my, I wanted to spend time with my boyfriend. So I started going and now I'm going on my own, you know, now i you know, I'm teaching myself things and I'm teaching him things. And I think that's great, you know, because I think women naturally make great hunters and great, you know, just because our tend- willingness to learn and tendency to be more patient, you know, with things. So I think I think that's great. That's my favorite when wives tell me that they started going with their husbands and now they leave him at home and go on their own. <laughs> that's just the coolest thing. <laughs> that is cool. All right, real quick before moving on, we're going to pause briefly for a word from our partners at Whitetail Properties. Here's our producer, Spencer Newharth. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Dave Skinner, a land specialist out of Southern Kentucky. And Dave is going to be telling us about what to look for when trying to make a property more affordable. There's several things. Um, you know, one of the big ones is I'm going to look for something that. Uh, that's not producing income. If I'm looking to get the per acre price down, um, you know, I'm going to avoid things like tillable, uh, tillable ground because that drives the price up. Anytime something produces an income, it's going to drive the price up. Uh, also marketable timber. Uh, you've got to pay for that. You know, the gone are the days that you can buy a piece of property, cut the timber off of it, and walk away with the land and some cash. It just doesn't happen anymore. Um, and you know, in Kentucky, uh, we've got um, areas that have been strip mined for coal. So that reclaimed coal ground frequently can sell, you know, literally half of what similar acreage would sell for in the area. So reclaimed ground is, is a great way to get ground down around $1,000 an acre. Um, you know, the habitat on that stuff is phenomenal. Um, and like I said, it's quite quite a bit cheaper than other stuff in the area. Also, you know, maybe someone has severed the mineral rights in the past um, sometimes that can get the price per acre down, um, you know, conservation easements, uh, lack of road frontage, all those things will drive the price of, of acreage down. So, you know, that, you know, to save on the front end, that's the way you do it. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Dave currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash Skinner. That's S-K-I-N-N-E-R. 
So what, what do you guys think about this trend? Um, some surveys have shown that over the last five years or whatever, one of the largest groups of new hunters is, is women. Um, I mean, what do you think about this rise in female participation? Why do you think it's happening? Um, I guess, Alex, if you want to start. Um, you know, I, I think it's great that more women, like I said, are wanting to get into it, getting the itch and understanding what it's about. I know there's been a big movement for more women wanting to hunt their own food, you know, which is, which I think is cool. I don't personally only eat wild game meat. You know, I raise beef for a living, so I'm a big supporter of the beef industry. But, you know, I think that's a great movement that people are getting into and wanting to hunt their own food. I know I, it's it's an incredible feeling to hunt something, clean it, gut it right there and eat it that night. That's a, it's an amazing feeling. And I know women like that. It's kind of a in my opinion, kind of like a mothering, nurturing instinct to provide for your family that was kind of unheard of until now. You know, being able to put that food on your table yourself is kind of an incredible thing. And, you know, I think that because of social media and social networking that other women are seeing other women doing it and are saying, oh, well, if Jess can go out there and hunt, I can do it. You know, if Alex can go out there and hunt, I can do it. And you know, not only Jess and I, but anybody, you know, if you see anybody on social media, there's a lot of incredible women to look up to out there. And I think that other women are seeing that it's okay for me to go out there. You know, it's becoming more socially acceptable. And, you know, if you can't find someone to go with you, you know, you can make connections through Instagram or through Facebook and meet people and find people to hunt with and share information with. And I, I think that's been a huge part of it. Yeah, that's a great point. That that's a it seems that that'd be a huge tool. Um would you add anything, Jessica? Um, I would definitely agree with everything that Alex said as far as um social media being a huge um catalyst for, for the the rise in women in the outdoors. I mean, and across the board, it's not even hunting. Um, I've seen it in fishing, uh, hiking and climbing, all sorts of I mean, just about anything is on social media now. So more people have more eyes on things. Um, it sparks interest all the time. Um, I think that for me, at least I connect with a lot of women who are just looking to challenge themselves. I feel that, um, the idea of learning ton and, and harvesting your own food and the entire, like the gamut of hunting, the, the whole idea is a, it's a challenge. And that's one of the most exciting things to me to to learn how to use my bow properly, to learn how to use the tools properly, and to, when you finally have those moments that are successful, the whole thing comes full circle. And I think once women, um, when they see it online or they hear stories of other women doing it, or they even get little tastes of it, it just pulls them in. And I mean, let's face it, women just talk constantly to their friends. So, I mean. As soon as I started loving it, I reached out to find other women or talked other women into doing it with me. So it's just like a trickle-down effect, and I think it's just exploding right now. And I think it's a great thing for the outdoors. And I see the mentality changing a lot. Um, where, like, when I first started hunting, if I would ask questions of people, it was kind of like a secret society. Nobody wanted to share any tips or information is very closed doors. Like you don't share your hunting information, which obviously we still keep a lot of our game plans to ourselves, but there's been more acceptance to sharing stories and experiences 
whether it be on social media or just in conversation in general, like I think more people are just open to talking about it. It's a little bit more mainstream. People aren't so much afraid of judgment. And I think that that plays with the women as well. It's not as, um, what's the word I'm trying to, it's not as much of like controversy now for a woman to be a hunter. Whereas maybe several years ago, they might've been looked upon as kind of like aggressive predator of some sorts. Um, I think the mentality has changed a lot and I think that it's good for, for women in the outdoors. And I mean, I'm excited for my daughter. She's, she's interested in it and I can just see her developing her passion for doing things as far as hunting and fishing. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I'll jump in right there real quick. Like just really quick. Like I think that Jess, your daughter is going to have like a really unique experience, like growing up in the outdoors, having like, her mother being so involved in it. Like, I think that's going to be really neat for her looking back when she's an adult, you know, looking back that she's having these experiences with her mom and other, you know, a strong woman and, you know, someone to look up to. So, I mean, I think that's great. And I think that's going to be something really special for her. I hope it goes that way. It's either going to go that way or it's going to go the complete opposite. And she might think that I'm (laughs) (laughs) Either way. (laughs) That's awesome. Dan, what, what does all this stuff make you think with your daughter um, in, in, in your process as you're going to be bringing her into the hunting world possibly? I mean, where, where's your head at with all this? So for me, right, this th- they throw this term huntress around, right, which I'm not going to label you, you guys as huntresses because just flipping through your Instagram pages, you guys don't meet that criteria. But – Social media, we, we know, kind of has positives and negatives, you know, for everything. And this just isn't with women. This is for men, too, where you have these group of people who are doing it for potentially different reasons, right? Uh, I didn't see you guys, you know, taking selfies in a mirror with, you know, with mountain ops and, and you know, doing all this, you know, selfies and stuff like that. Which, when I see, it kind of dilutes what you guys are trying to do. So how frustrating is it for you guys to, I guess, spread a positive message and at the same time, it's not necessarily competing, but weed yourself out from what is already out there that is probably, like, if I was to talk to my daughter about this today, I would say, you don't want to be like that group of people. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> that was a long um, question. I apologize. No, it's fine. Uh, I mean, I know Alex and I have had this conversation between ourselves, and there is definitely a persona that Alex and I do not wish to have. And while I mean, while everybody can enjoy the outdoors and use their social media channels to whatever purpose they want. I mean, I guess that's all fine. Um, It does make, like what you said, it does kind of water down the, like the honest part of what we're trying to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get every product under the sun to sponsor me and yada, yada, yada. Like I'm truly loving the outdoors. I do run a photography business. So, I mean, I do try to promote myself as a qualified photographer. Um, but I do try to take a step back from all of that stuff. Like I don't need to be shooting my bow in 
the tiniest shirt that I own in the most um, in the in the best pose possible. We'll just say it like that. Choose your words wisely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm also trying not to get some backlash of of a particular group of people as well. I mean, they, everyone's welcome to do whatever they want, and if if that's how they hunt, great. <laughs> that's not how I hunt. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I know Alex and I feel the same, but I also don't want to stir the pot in any way. Right. What, what would you say, yeah. Alex? Um, okay, so I just have to say it. I hate the term huntress. Like, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I just, <laughs> I like the way it sounds when it comes out of your mouth. It just, like, I hate it. And, um, I, quick story just about that. Um, I was working one of the Sitka booths at some show recently. I don't even remember which one it was. And a man came in the booth and asked me if I was a huntress. And I said, no, I'm just a hunter, just a bow hunter, just like you. And he said, well, you look like a huntress to me with your long blonde hair and pink fingernails. And I was like, well, okay, but you know, I'm just, just a hunter, just like anybody else. And he refused to accept that, I guess. And it was really kind of like the first time that I was just like, you know, why don't you just keep walking away? Because I'm going to say something really (laughs) rude. And it, it was just, like I said, I grew up where all the guys that I was hunting with and my dad and everything, I was their equal, I guess. You know, it wasn't that I was just a girl they had to take hunting, you know, and I was hunting with them. They weren't taking me, I guess, if that kind of makes sense. Right. And it just, to me, it's kind of a, you know, there's there's so many women out there that have done an incredible job of, you know, helping the idea of, female hunters become more socially accepted, you know, kind of like Jess said, with less of a controversy, it's not a big deal that women hunt anymore. And there's an, a huge group of women that have done an incredible job at that. And then, um, in my opinion, there's a pretty big group of women that just kind of knock it down, I guess, and try to, I don't know if I can, can I say the word sexualize on your podcast? You can, can I say, that you word? Can say because, whatever you want. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I kind of feel like that's what they try to do and it just kind of makes all female hunters look bad you know and like you said this same kind of thing happens with guys too it's not just girls that do it for the wrong reasons and you know you know but like just said if that's how you want to hunt you know you it's is if you're out there honestly enjoying the great outdoors then that's great and more power to you i just hope that you know if you're doing it you're doing it honestly and because you love it that's what's most important you know it's i know that jess feels the same way that if instagram was gone tomorrow i'm still going to be out playing food plots and trying to kill a deer this fall and (laughs) you know and i i think that that's something trying (laughs) trying attempting yes (laughs) emphasis on that and let me add one more thing when you get done yeah go ahead jump in i on the flip side of this coin, um, I mean, I, I do not like the term huntress. I don't think that everything that I need to hunt needs to have pink on it, that whole deal. Um, but I did have a strange experience this past um, show season. I was speaking with a girl. I was explaining the new Sika women's line. And I said, yeah, there's no pink. We don't need pink. We don't need all this fancy frilly girl stuff. I was like, this is technical gear made for hunting. And the woman I was talking to just kind of like nodded her head and she was nice and polite. And then she contacted me 
post-show to have another conversation. And she's like, you know, I, you kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did I hurt your feelings? Like, I'm so sorry. And she goes, you know, I hunt just the same as you. I've been hunting my whole life. Um, I probably have more experience hunting than you. And, and uh, she, she was explaining, like, her passion and her drive for it. And she's like, and I feel like you pigeon-honed me into, like, this, this uh, huntress, like the girl with the skin-tight hunting gear with the hot pink nails and the hair extensions and all the products all over and the boobs hanging out. And she's like, just because I might, like, get home from work with my makeup on and my nails painted and go hunting doesn't make me a huntress. And so I kind of took a little bit of a step back um, on this whole topic and realized that, like, yeah, some women are more tomboys, some women are flashy. Some women are coming home from work and trying to, like, scent free themselves as quickly as possible and still go out and enjoy hunting. So I, like, I kind of feel like as long as you're not crossing the boundary between, like what Alex said, trying to sexualize it or trying to to turn it into something it's not. Like, hunting is hunting. If you're a true hunter, you can connect with another true hunter on it. If you are in it just for the glory or to sell something or to get the most attention. And this goes for guys or girls or guys and girls. Like there's plenty of guys out there in the tightest t-shirt possible with their (laughs) energy drinks, Mm -hmm. like pulling their bows back in their living room. Like got to get my workout in. It's it's the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. As I take a bite out of a peanut butter sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) It's not so much the word huntress or the color pink. It's just, it's the truth behind it. It's like, what are you really after? And that, that is so transparent. Everybody can see through it. So, I mean, Alex and I, we do our thing. We know what we're doing as far as like, I don't know if we know what we're doing hunting, but we know why we're hunting. And, yeah, uh, that's still so to be determined. <laughs> if we know what we're to doing. Elaborate, <laughs> to be decided. <laughs> to elaborate on that question though, let's say there's a young girl out there right now who's listening and, and she's, she's on social media or she's a, just a woman who's listening with her husband right now on a, on a car ride or whatever. What are some of those things that, you know, I think, you know, there's this, there's this fine line of, of women trying to uh, ha- find role models if they're completely new to hunting and what should, what should women look for, you know, in looking for those role models? Um, I think that when I'm looking for, for inspiration or strong women and, or I don't know, I, I'm like not going for the most popular, uh, the most, most likes, most popular thing ever. I'm looking for people who are putting in hard work are putting in the time, have facts, and knowledge to back up what they're saying, um, not necessarily like putting up a post or a blog every five minutes just to keep themselves relevant. So I would say to look for people that are doing it because they love it, because they're passionate about it. And look for information online or if you're, if you're talking with people, look for substance in what they're saying. Don't just listen to... Um, like the top layer, like look deeper. Yeah, I I completely agree with everything Jess said. You know, a big a big one for me is looking at how someone 
portrays themselves, I guess. I don't really know how to say that, but just respects themselves, I think, is a big mm-hmm. one because there's, you know, a lot of women out there that I'm not saying they don't, but there's also some great, great role models out there of women that, you know, know a lot and have a lot of good information that they're willing to share, but also aren't willing to take a tip from someone, you know, and I think that just finding someone that you relate to yourself, you know, there could be a girl from Pennsylvania that's going to relate to Jess that, you know, she's a great person to look up to in more aspects than, you know, than just the fact that she lives in Pennsylvania. But, uh, you know, it's just, there's, <laughs> like Jess said, there's so many good resources out there other than just Instagram, you know, other than just Facebook, you know, there's great magazines and there's great online forums and, you know, podcasts blogs you know things like that there's join an organization go join the qdma yeah 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 local chapters your uh like the ducks unlimited banquets whitetail unlimited banquets qdma like rocky mountain Foundation. yes there's a lot of great organizations you know that you can join and go to local banquets and things like that and meet people in your area and i think that's honestly, probably one of the best things to do because you're going to be connecting with people that live close to you who hunt the same kind of critters that you do. And, you know, maybe the deer kind of work the same in that area and you can discuss tactics and, you know, whatever, or you can turkey hunt together. Like, I think that would, you know, be a great resource for someone. Is and don't locally. be afraid. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Ask questions of people. I mean, I, I see it now. The mentality is changing. People are willing to answer your questions for you. Um, Talk to people who hunt. Ask the guys, hey, do you have a girlfriend that hunts? Do you have any friends that want to hunt with me? Like, don't be afraid to just put yourself out there. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They say no. Yeah. Yeah, and then you just find someone cooler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so sp- speaking of this whole kind of topic of, like, you know, finding role models and, and these different expectations placed on, on female hunters and some of these different – I don't know, perspectives and perceptions that we have. Um, Alex, you, you were recently featured in a pretty cool short film by Matthews um, that kind of spoke to this a little bit about female hunters and exceeding the expectations and stuff. Could you talk a little bit about the message of that film and then what it was like being a part of that? Yeah, well, that was, that was something that I hold very near and dear to my heart. That was such a neat project to be able to be a part of when – Derek from Matthews first reached out to me, you know, he's like, would you want to maybe do this? I was like, yep, say no more. I'm in. I don't even need to know what it is. I want to be a part of it. And, you know, they, they interviewed myself and the other women that were involved with it about, you know, what it was like growing up as a female hunter or what it was like getting into hunting as a female. And, you know, we talked about a lot of the same stuff that we've talked about here, you know, just a few minutes ago. And, Um, you know, they really wanted to push the fact that, you know, there's women out there that are doing this and they're, you know, killing it, crushing it. And, you know, there's a lot of women out there that, you know, this is what their life revolves around and it's, you know, this is important to them and it's, it's part of who they are. And I think that there was a, if there was one way to show authenticity, that's what Matthews did. I think they hit the nail directly on the head. You know, because there's a lot of, you know, on social media that, you know, people are like, oh, well, she's just out there taking the picture, her boyfriend or her husband or, 
you know, whatever. She's not doing that, you know, whatever. And that's fine. You know, I have a lot of help from my dad and from my boyfriend on hunting. I'm not afraid to say that, you know, I'm not always out there hanging tree stands by myself. I gladly accept help. And that's, that's what hunting's about. It's about doing it with the people you love and with about, you know, having fun at it and doing it with people you care about. And, you know, but there's also something to be said for someone who's going to get out there and put in the nitty gritty work and get something done, not because people are watching, but it's because that's just what she has to do. That's what needs to get done. And that's what's going to happen. And I think that's Matthews hit the nail directly on the head and knocked it out of the park. It was such, such an empowering message. And when I watched the first cut of the film pretty soon to where they were going to release it you know i was just like moved by it i was just like oh my gosh like i gotta get out there like next season's coming up you know like i gotta get back out there and start working on again it just motivated me and you know and it was it was neat seeing myself in that position and i've never really thought of myself as a role model not necessarily because i don't try to be one you know i do but just because i'm i'm just me i'm nothing fancy i'm just me and when that video came out my niece, who's now seven years old, watches it every single day. Like, every single day wow. today, still, she watches it. And that, it, that to me, was kind of, when she watched it, she calls me Aunt Peaches. When she calls me or watches it and she said, Peaches, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I want to go hunt. And I was just like, you know, it kind of struck me in a different way, I guess. You know, because then I was like, I felt like a role model. And I felt like someone important to her and to think that you know someone as small town midwest missouri as me could be that for someone else is kind of a neat feeling yeah it was it was pretty cool that is pretty cool and i think and i think both of you both you jessica and alex um you guys have platforms now, whether it be social media or your work with different companies as ambassadors. And I think there are a lot of, of females, young females or whatever age that, that probably look to you now as examples um, and role models. What You kind of mentioned some of these things, Alex, but maybe you can expand a bit. And then, Jess, I want to hear your thoughts too. But, but what does that mean to you now or how – what am I trying to say here? I guess how does that – change your mindset or how you act or do things knowing that because you now have a platform and people look to you, um, you have this new responsibility. Yeah, I, I try to be pretty mindful of it. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have like a strategy, I guess. I don't, I don't really know for like how I do things on my social media. I'm kind of all over the place on there kind of, but you know, I kind of just post what I want and, you know, it's just, I'm just me on there and, you know, I'm, I'm nothing fancy half the time. I'm wearing the same pair of jeans for like six days in a row and, you know, I've got cow poop on me and something else gross is happening to me probably, but that's real life, you know, and that's something real that I deal with all the time and I try to just be as, as real as I can about it and I love Instagram stories. That's like, my favorite thing in the whole world is posting on my Instagram story about what I'm doing. And most of the time it's something to do with cows because that's like what I'm surrounded by all the time. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, I just try to keep it, keep it real on there. And you know, and I'm not, I, I think a big thing is I try, I don't try to be something I'm not. And, you know, this, what I've, the past words I've just said in the last few seconds is 
more thought than I've put into my Instagram than I have in a long time. Like I'm trying to think <laughs> what I do on there and I just, I just post what I want and I just try to be me. And I mean, whatever, I don't have a ton of followers, but it, you know, it doesn't really matter. And I just, I'm just me. Yeah. Jess, what are your thoughts on, on becoming a role model to, to females? Uh, kind of along the same plane as Alex. Like I don't sit in my living room and, and, and dwell about being a role model. But I mean, when you, when you think about it, I'm sure there are girls and young people and women who are looking at my profile and hopefully they're getting inspired to learn to, uh, to pursue the outdoors if that's something that they're interested in. Um, but the same, same thing as Alex said, I don't, I don't have any ambitions to portray something different because I, I like what I do. I like who I am and I'm not going to go out of my way to change that. So, I mean, my Instagram page represents authentic things that I do, whether it's because I'm a photographer or because I hunt or because I'm a mom and a wife. Um, they're all real things that have happened. So when they get posted, I don't ever worry like, well, what if someone gets the wrong idea of me? Because that's, that's whatever happened, whether it was for a job or because I was hunting, like, those are real photos. So I don't have any kind of reservations about my social media presence because I'm not, I'm not trying to obtain anything unrealistic. Yeah, that makes sense. Dan, I got a question for you. I want to flip this a little bit. Um, yeah. You, I mean, we're talking about this. You have a platform too. And yes. people probably look up to you as a hunter um, or as a person or as I don't know, other different people out there that only have nine fingers. You're probably one of the most well-known <laughs> nine-finger people out there. They might look up to you and you might you inspire them. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you think about this? Because I, I think it's, this is an interesting topic because I think all of us in, in one way or another, there may, or, there may be people who look up to us. Um, maybe it's a kids or maybe it's someone with a platform like you and their other hunters look up to it. But how do you handle that responsibility? What do you think about there? Man, I tell you what. I think the only way to truly be successful in life in general is to be who you are because the moment that you become fake, people will call you out and you will lose your credibility. So I just, I am one of the, like I'm rough around the edges. You know me. Um, I say what I think and I, I, I'm just like, like the lady said, I'm just being me, man. I'm not trying to be something different. I'm not trying to, you know, I don't pull this facade. I that like all our responses could be a hit song right now. <laughs> <laughs> you put that together, Jess. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I'm, dude, this industry has enough sellouts where, you know, people see that. And once they see it, they may still follow you, but and not necessarily follow you, but they don't absorb what you're really trying to say. So th at that point, your voice becomes lost in a sea of other d bags. And after you know, after and you get one, you get one chance at it, and after that, you're done. You're just like the rest of them. And you know, be genuine and be yourself and. And I'm not trying to be a role model per se. I'm just trying to share my experiences with other people who are really just like me. You know, from a Nine Finger Chronicles standpoint, dude, I work. I'm a father. I'm a husband. 
I work 40 plus hours a week. I work another however many hours a week during this podcast. I grind just like the rest of the people out there. And I want to, you know, there, when, when hunting season comes, I want to make sure that all the blood, sweat and tears that I've put in turns to success. No matter, no matter if that's, you know, hanging tree stands in a hundred degree heat or checking trail cameras several times or whatever it is. I, I just want to, it all comes down to passion. I want to express my passion for the animals that I, I hunt and, uh, outdoors in general. Yeah. And I, and I think if there's a moral to the story here with, with everyone, it's the importance of authenticity. And right. I think it's just being you being authentic. Um, and I think that, you know, whether you want to be a role model or not, if, if you do anything that's out there to the world, you inevitably become one. And I think being true to yourself will, um, will allow you to, to, to do that in the best possible way. And I think that, I think there's a lot of people on this podcast right now that are doing that. So I'm, I'm humbled to be here chatting with the three of you. So, uh, I want to, I want to shift, I want to shift back a little bit to the two of you, Jess and Alex, because you worked on a pretty cool project here over the past couple of years that we've talked a little bit about on the podcast. And that has been, um, your work with Sitka our great partner who launched their women's line of gear. And I know that both of you have been involved in that process, both some of the early stages, the design work and and ideas there, as well as actually testing it. Um, I'd love to hear about what that was like. And and we've heard just just a little bit from you and some of our sick of stories in the past, but um, for those that haven't heard, I'd still like to hear your perspective on that. So maybe Jess, can you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you. Sure. Um, well, it started several years ago. Um, Sika had invited myself and Alex and some other women um, to the office where they just sat us down and we had several brainstorming sessions. They asked about our experiences and our wants and our needs, um, what wasn't being met as far as our camo. And we, over time, came up with the system that you see today um, and went through a lot of Um, Like I said, brainstorming sessions, a lot of testing, um, several, several prototypes. Um, um, Alex and I and some other women, um, like Amanda Caldwell, had all tested the white tail pieces and the big game pieces before anybody even knew about this line. Um, And then to see it come come to, to be reality has been really amazing. I mean, some of the things that we talked about in that room with that whiteboard, we now are using in the field, so... Um, it's been a real honor, and it's it's really dissatisfied so many um, things that were missing for female hunting. That's awesome. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is what my response has been every time. But everything that Jess just said, pretty much, and you know, she she said it exactly right. You know, it was it was a super fun process and it was something that I was so proud to be involved with and, you know, right off the bat I was like, Oh my gosh, Alex, what have you done? Like you are gonna help Sitka with this. Like you must have done something right. Like I was like super <laughs> pumped. You know, that's that's how Jess and I met, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. And we had a blast out there and it was so much fun creating it and, you know, just kinda giving ideas and our feedback and now seeing the line come up and you know, be such a hit. It's really rewarding to be a part of that. And it's really cool. And it's, it's been neat. I've been fortunate enough to go to several trade shows this year and stand in the Sitka booth and talk to people about not just the women's line, but all Sitka's lines. And 
it's been really neat to see this when you tell a woman about Sitka's new women's line to see like the sense of relief, I guess, that she expresses like, oh, finally Sitka's making a women's line, you know, because Sitka's known for having incredible gear, you know, that really aids in hunting and, you know, and women are just like relieved almost that there's finally going to be pants that fit. Finally, we don't have to deal with the weird crotch that's on all men's pants and, you know, sleeve <laughs> that gets stuck on the like climbing that. sticks. Like you're going up the tree oh, and you're getting pulled back down. <laughs> literally don't even get me started. Like, it, <laughs> like it's, it's been, it's been really neat. And, you know, and to have even just the tiniest little involvement in that has been awesome. And, you know, it's allowed me to meet people like Jess and make other friends that you know i consider some of my best friends now and it's it's been awesome when you guys were in that room discussing you know you know you guys were all voicing your opinion about you know what a garment should have from a woman's standpoint um with women i feel having such a variety of body types compared to men how what was the discussion uh in that room like on that specific topic well, that's kind of funny because when you put Alex and I next to one another, I am very short and Alex is a, well, a lot taller than I am, <laughs> but we wear relatively the same size. So when we were coming up with, um, when I was discussing sizing with, with Sika, it was like, okay, well, that's great if that's what the measurement is for a medium or a small, but what are you going to do for all the sizes between small and medium? And the guys kind of looked at me like, we didn't. What do you mean? Because, I mean, (laughs) they didn't understand that between size A and size B is size A through Z again. And uh, we we really put a lot of time into discussing this with them because we knew that if we didn't, if SICA didn't put out what women needed, they were going to get the biggest backlash, like, ever. Like, they, I don't think they anticipated how critical women were going to be. So we let them in on that early. And they did a really good job of planning for um, four-way stretch in the garment. There's a lot of gusseting and adjustments within the garments that aren't available in the guy's line because it's not needed. Um, There's zippers in new places and elastic in different places. The bibs have more adjustability. The jackets have different drawstrings than the guys. So, I mean... There yeah, was it was so a, a line completely, like, yeah, completely redesigned. And, like, the sizing on all of the gear is, like, incredible. The fit of it is awesome. And, you know, wearing gear that actually fits is, like, it's, like, changed my whole life. It's it's awesome. And, you know, like Jess said, there is no small, medium, large when it comes to women's clothing. Like, naturally, we can't make it that simple, you know. Right not just one one size fits all answer and you know once it kind of realized that they were like okay well this is just what we have to do and they did it and they crushed it and that's awesome i mean i don't i don't think they could get any more flexible in the way they design they designed these clothes to fit than they have i mean it's just it's pretty incredible at uh that's something i would have never known that's for sure when it comes to all that sizing stuff and uh two two and zippers and pockets. <laughs> you should have heard the conversation on where we were going to put pockets. How did that go? Oh, yeah. That was a whole nother deal. <laughs> Explain. Um, 
Well, every girl brings different things with her to the field. I don't know how it is with guys, but I I have a certain place I like to put if I have my cell phone or my rangefinder might not necessarily go around my neck in a rangefinder pocket. It's just kind of like how I feel that day. So I wanted to make sure that for me, I had ample pocket space in all of the places we could place pockets. And I <laughs> think a lot of the girls careful. agreed with me. Yeah, and you had to be careful because you couldn't put too many pockets that, you know, women already have a little bit more bulk on their chest than a guy's do, a guy does. So, you know, you had to be careful putting pockets over the chest area, you know, because then that could, mm-hmm. you know, interrupt your draw cycle when you're drawing your bow and, you know, pocket placement over the hips. Well, hip, you know, women's hips are different. It was just like, it was a you got creative. whole ordeal. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's awesome. Like, the turnout was like, like, I, I put it on, and I'm just like, yep, this is it. Let's go. Like, I'm ready to go. Uh, you got to love that. When I think you put that on... we put pants on. I'm like, we, we had put prototype pants on and probably sat 500 times in a row just to make sure that when we put our hands in the pockets, it felt good. <laughs> yep, still good. Good to go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, uh, speaking of, of the testing process, I, I think that this was during the testing process. Maybe it was after, but Jessica, your, your first – pronghorn hunt that you went on with Amanda last year was that part of the testing process or was that just uh, a hunt together I, I I'd love to hear about that hunt because it sounds like that was pretty cool um it was a plan that Amanda and I had cooked up on our own and it just kind of coincided with the field testing uh, for the women's big game pieces when we did the hunt uh, the prototypes were available in the open country pattern which obviously now they are um, for the first year, only available in the subalpine for women's big game. Uh, so the photos that you see of me, I am wearing the women's big game pieces just in the open country pattern. Um, but we got to test uh, the pieces out on the prairies of Montana, and obviously I was successful. It was an incredible hunt, um, mainly due to Amanda's know-how. I mean, she's an incredible hunter, and I look up to her so much. Uh, she's taught me so, so much about just hunting in general. She's a great person to be around, and she's one of my dearest friends now. And um, then also coinciding with that, we also tested the uh, Matthews Avail before it had debuted. So I, I'm i not going to say I'm 99 or 100% sure, but I'm 99% sure I got the first harvest with the Women's Avail from Matthews. So that was pretty exciting. Wow. Woohoo. That's pretty sweet. So you, so this is a bow kill on a pronghorn. What was that like? Because I feel like that's like one of the toughest things to pull off. Was it a waterhole hunt or spot and stalk or what? No, we stalked the whole time. We didn't sit over any water, um, which I knew ahead of time that that was the plan, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, what I wasn't prepared for was how much more athletic Amanda is than I am. So. <laughs> She was, um, she was just going, 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 and, which was fantastic because I got a great experience. But um, there were some times where I just looked at her and said, I need to take a break for a second. Um, but we, we had so much fun, and we were probably elbow crawling across vast open spaces for the majority of the time. Um, we, as you know, you can't just, like, walk up to a pronghorn. So we would spot them and just kind of make our way through drainages and tall grass, literally dragging ourselves on our stomach with like my bow resting on the back, my back for hours. 
Um, my elbows were raw by the end of this hunt, and uh, but it was so worth it, and we had so much fun. It was it's probably one of the most memorable hunting experiences I had ever been on. It was my first time hunting out west, my first time hunting with Amanda, and uh, it was I mean it was spectacular. Yeah, it, it looked like it. the The photos were pretty pretty incredible, and there there's actually two places you can hear about this. You just you just had the article published in Pearson's Bow Hunting. I saw about that hunt, yes, which is pretty awesome. Issue. That's very so cool. So that, that article um, speaks more to uh, the process, the gear that we used, the terrain. Um, it's more of a technical article. And also in the Matthews Annual for this year is um, a different take on the story, more of the experience with Amanda and a little bit more of a girl's write-up. Um, but both are it's the same story, the same hunt, and you should read them both because then you get both takes. Yeah, and then there's also a blog post on Matthew's website. Uh, is that the the same mm-hmm. one that's in the in the annual? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'll make sure to link to that if anyone wants to check that out or see the photos and all that good stuff. Um, and also, speaking of that kind of stuff, links. I'll also be sharing that film that we were talking about that Alex was in too. So look for that. Um, so we are coming up on time. And we need to wrap this up. So I guess before we do that, um, Dan, do you have any final thoughts or questions for Jess or Alex? Well, I know it's it's very easy for you know ex, you know for people to take a uh, a route like what we talked about earlier, and um, I I honestly stay away from. Um, I stay away from social media for the most part, other than what I'm doing on my end. Uh, I don't, I don't find myself flipping through stuff. So, but I, I must say that I'm happy with what I see and I'm definitely going to be showing my daughter, your guys's stuff. So, uh, that's really all I have to say. Final thoughts, uh, Alex, for you on, on anything we've talked about here today or anything you want to leave our listeners with? Um, I'm trying to think of something like deep and insightful, but I don't really know that I have anything other than just like, you know, if you're getting into hunting, welcome and, you know, keep at it. It's not easy, but, you know, you can do it and it can be done and it's fun if you let it be. And, you know, it's, this is a lot of fun and thanks for having me, I guess. Yeah. Jessica? Um, Definitely. If there's a spark of interest there, pursue it. Um, try hard, be yourself. Who cares what other people say? Cause I hear it every day. There's plenty of people who want to disagree with you. Who cares? Do what you love, be honest and, uh, go get some women's sick of gear. <laughs> nice plug. And the avail. <laughs> and hey, the avail. Uh-huh. Hey, speaking of, <laughs> don't uh, set yourself up to fail. Go out with the best gear and you'll have way more fun. There you go. Speaking of gear, sort of, I do have one final question that I forgot, and I wanted to ask you, Jessica. You are a professional photographer, and a lot of people these days are trying to take better photos of their outdoor activities, whether it be a, a shot with a deer they just killed or something they're doing in the field. Do you have any quick tips for our listeners as far as taking better pictures? Um, in my opinion, respect the animal, clean up the animal. Um, if you're going to pose with it, pose respectfully with it, have some ethics when you take the photography. Uh, definitely you're going to want to try and have the light in front of you. If it's nighttime, bring a light. Uh, definitely just my, my biggest advice is just have respect with the way you're doing it. 
if you are disrespectful, it's going to come off that way, no matter how great the image is. Solid advice. Where can people go, uh, Jessica, if they want to see what you're doing with your business or on social media or anything like that? Um, my business, DiLorenzo Photography, you can go to DiLorenzoPhoto.com. Um, my Instagram is JessDilo7. Um, and I have Twitter and Facebook as well. Cool. And Alex, what about you? Um, if anybody wants to follow me on Instagram, my name is Alex Templeton underscore. And I also have a Facebook as well. I don't really do quite as much on there. I'm pretty active on Instagram. So come look at some pictures of cows if you'd like. <laughs> very, very good. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Alex. This has been a lot of fun. I think it's um, it's unique perspective that we need. Um, I, I don't, we don't get an opportunity to speak to terrific female role models and hunters like you enough. And I'm really glad that we're able to, to kind of share your perspective. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thank thank you for having us. Absolutely. And there you go. Another episode is in the books and a few quick updates. I want to give everyone who has left us a rating or review on iTunes, a big thank you. We've had a bunch of new reviews lately and I really, really appreciate that. And speaking of thanks, I want to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to make this podcast possible. So big thanks to Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Huntera Maps. And finally, thank you all for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. I hope your spring turkey hunts or habitat projects have been going well, and I hope you'll stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.